A reading from the first chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, You are Simon of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Word of God for us. The people of God. Thanks be to God. So we get some titles here for Jesus. Things that would tell us things about who He is. You hear John say that this is the one that God told me on Him. Who the Holy Spirit descends and remains. This is my Son. This is the Christ. This is the one. This is my anointed. And so John says with boldness that Jesus is the Son of God. The one set apart for us. The one come to be Messiah, the Christ. The Savior of the world. God. Son of God. Messiah. Lamb of God. Another title. Something to speak to us about who He is and what He does. If He is the Son of God, then He has the authority of God. If He is the Lamb of God, it means that He bears the mission of God in the world. If He's the Messiah of God, it means that He's anointed for that mission. <clears throat> and John said, Jesus is that one. Jesus. And none other. He looks and sees Him coming to the river and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then states His mission. Did you hear it? The Bible tells us that if we were to say that we are without sin, then we make God a liar. 
Boy, that seems like a risky proposition, doesn't it? If we were to be so bold as to say, I don't need a Savior, preacher, then we are in effect saying that our Creator is a liar. 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wow. Not only is there no... Is there a lie in us, but even the truth does not dwell in us. Boy, that would be a hard way to live, wouldn't it? To be incapable of speaking a basic truth about ourselves. But it is. But it is the human condition. For over and over and over and more and more and more, you will see again and again and again in our culture the attitude that there is no such thing as sin as long as something doesn't hurt someone else. Am I right? As long as you keep it in your house, it's nothing wrong with it. As long as you don't affect your neighbor or affect someone else, there's nothing wrong with it. But that's not true. For every choice we make affects someone else. Even our private choices affect someone else. Everything we do affects someone else. Sometimes someone's life is saved because we leave our house 30 seconds late and we make that mistake on the interstate 30 seconds later than we might have made it if we have left on time. All around us is the opportunity for us to make choices that impact the lives of other people. And when we make choices that violate the law of Christ, when we make choices that result in us not loving God and not loving our neighbor, when they are in fact denials of the opportunity we have to love God and love our neighbor, we in effect kill ourselves and kill others. And largely we do that through shame. When I was a teenager, I had a couple friends who were really good guys. Really good people. People that I would trust myself to go out with and hang out with, but together we were collectively stupid. You ever found yourself in that situation, in a situation where you knew that what the three of you were talking about doing was stupid, and you did it anyway? When I was a little fella, my parents used a certain disciplinary technique that often involved going and getting my own switch. Y'all ever had that happen to you? My mama never said, wait till your daddy got home. We didn't do that at my house. But regardless, you've had that experience of being disciplined. But sooner or later, like me, you probably had the experience of having done something that had your parent, your guardian, your grandparent, some formative person in your life look at you and say, I'm disappointed in you. That ever happened to y'all? Well, that happened to me on a certain Saturday morning after a Friday night that you all will never know about. After three relative, relatively smart young men did something that was absolutely and utterly stupid. And my dad was waiting for me at the door when I got home and said, Son, I need your keys. Oh, okay, what for, Dad? Remember when you thought your parents were stupid? And then later on, as we talked about it, my dad said, Son, I'm very disappointed. And I don't know about you, but I would rather my dad had beat me with a stick that day then told me he was disappointed. Shame is a powerful motivator, is it not? But here's the problem with shame. Shame doesn't motivate us to be better. 
It motivates us into more destruction. When we feel ashamed of ourselves, we assume that we're not worthy of anything. That we're out there on the edge of just being worthy basically of being thrown away. Shame is a painful emotion that's caused by humiliation and a consciousness of guilt that just won't quite let go of us. Where every time we're around somebody that we know we hurt, that we know we said something, we feel this just palpable guilt wash over us and we can't separate ourselves from it and the shame dominates us and ultimately we remove ourselves from a relationship that might be good for us if we could just let go of our shame. Shame is overpowering. I remember how I felt the weeks after that stupid night. As I felt ashamed of myself and my friends and what we had done and worked to repair it and wondered how in the world did I get here? It's not the only time I've experienced that in my life. As an adult, I've had an experience where I wondered how in the world that I end up in this place where I'm so ashamed of myself that I don't care if I were to stop breathing. People end up there all the time. It is the project of sin in us to destroy us. It is the project of sin in us to bring us to such great shame that we almost can't bring ourselves to the other the words, God, please forgive me. Because we see ourselves as being unworthy of being forgiven because we're dominated by it. It consumes us. A couple weeks ago, I told you the story about Cain and how he was mad at his brother and there was murder in his heart and God came to him and said, Cain, sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is to have you. In the Hebrew, it means to gnaw on you. And shame is how sin gnaws on us. When we give in to it, it gnaws on us and gnaws on us and gnaws on us until some point we wonder, what's the point? I guess I might as well do whatever I want to. What's the point in any of this? And maybe we even get to a place where we think, why am I even bothering to come to church? Because I know what I am and I know my shame. And shame can dominate our lives and prevent us, prevent us from reaching out for the only thing that can help us. Because we think we're unworthy. Because we've fallen into humiliation. Shame is an instrument of the devil. Peter said that the devil goes about like a roaring lion. I told you that just a couple weeks ago. Seeking whom he might devour. And the way that the devil would devour us is the weight of shame. As we consider our lives, our thoughts are drawn to those places where Satan, the accuser, that's what his name means, the accuser, would accuse us of not being faithful, of not loving God, of not loving our neighbor, of only being concerned about ourselves and show us all those places in our lives where we've messed up and been broke down. We've been broke up to the ground where we're fallen and can't get up. And all those places where we feel like we're unworthy of God's love, even though we know the psalmist has said he loves us greater than the distance to the stars. And we let shame ripple over us and bind us yet again. And that, dear ones, is how sin catches hold of us. It puts us into a place 
where we can't see the other side. I think that's why we have a suicide epidemic amongst our young people. They live with the shame of a culture that won't serve them and love them and won't tell them about one who can free them from the shame that bottles up their hearts. But there's good news in this text, and I wonder if you heard it. If you are a person who struggles with shame in your life, with thinking about who you could have been or who you should have been or who you thought you would be, of thinking about the things that you've done to let yourself or others or your God down, of thinking about the ways that you've turned your back on everything you ever thought you knew about yourself and found yourself wallowing in a puddle of misery so deep that you couldn't even see the side to climb out if you tried. There's good news in this text for you. When John points at Jesus, he doesn't just say, Behold, the Lamb of God who dies for our sins. Did you notice that, church? He didn't just say, Hey, here's Jesus, the Son of God, who's going to die for us and get us into heaven. He didn't say just that. He said something very different. Which is exactly what we need to hear because sin is like a gigantic weight of shame hovering on us and hanging on us and pulling us down and keeping us from being what God would have us be. And what did John say? He said, Jesus will take that from you. Remember that day when Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what John is talking about. All of us who are burdened by the shame of our sin and the hurts of all those things that we've done wrong can come to this Christ and He will lift the chains of that oppression from our neck and free us. He's not just the Lamb who dies for us. He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful freeing thought. That, dear ones, is the good news. Not just that Christ has come and Christ has died and Christ is raised. Not just that Christ is dying for us, but that Christ is dying to free us. To take our sin away. And free us from our shame. To free us from ever having to look at ourselves in the light of the things that we've done wrong. To free us from thinking that we are the sum of our failures. To free us from thinking that we are what those who hate us say we are. And drag us into the new life of being who God says we are. Children beloved of a father. And so Paul writes to us, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Do not allow shame to condemn you. Do not allow it to keep you in chains. Come instead to the One who can free you. 
Bend your neck to Christ and allow Him to take that shackle from you. Allow Him to lift those chains off your neck and free you for joyful obedience to serve Him in all that you do. There is no need for you to wallow in shame. There's freedom in Jesus. In Romans 10, Paul says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? From sin. From the weight of it and the shame of it. From the guilt and the burden of it. And the writer of Hebrews says to us this, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, meaning those who had sinned and couldn't come to church, can make them holy so that they are outwardly clean. If the blood of bulls and goats, he says, can do that for those who come to worship, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Dear one, if your conscience is burdened by the shame of sin, if your conscience is weighted by the hurts that you've inflicted on others or even on yourself, please hear me. It is not necessary for you to live that way. Jesus can free you and set you free. For He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Will you offer yourself to Him today? Don't say, no, preacher, I've already done that. I'm covered. Think about yourself today. Will you allow, allow Him? Will you bend your neck to Him? Will you bow to Him as Lord and allow Him to remove that sin from you? Will you offer Him your shame? And leave here free. It's an important question, isn't it? He didn't just, did just die so that we could for, be forgiven. He died so that we can be free. To live a life of joy. No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. That is good news. I encourage you this week, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Rest in that peace.